Right intention is the topic for today. Sama Sankapa. And right intention is a, an attempt in English to express what this means. And there are various translations of Sama Sankapa. I think that right intention will do for now, but it must be remembered that it's an emotional activity of the mind. It's not merely an intellectual activity of the mind. It's an attitude of the heart towards the world, towards the experience in the world. So what we really need to reflect on is the relationship between the Four Noble Truths, that is, right view, and the various other kind of right view that I discussed in the previous talk, and right intention. At first, when I read about the Four Noble Truths, right view, what followed it, this right intention, it was not obvious why these attitudes would follow from the Four Noble Truths, because the basic Four Noble Truths is there is suffering in the world. The cause of suffering is that everything is impermanent, that there's the impermanence, anicca, dukkha, anatta, and uh, it's your relationship to those. If you understood that, why would you suddenly desist from ill will, harmful intentions, and clinging or greed? Why would that follow from that? It's just a statement of facts about the world, the universe is everything's impermanent. And why would that radically alter your emotional attitude? So this is what you want to reflect on is why does right intention arrive and arise from right view? It will tell you about the nature of right view. So if you look at right intention, first of all, there's three factors in it. The first two is non-anger or the absence of ill will. The second one is the absence of harmful intentions. Sometimes it's translated as cruelty, the absence of cruelty, but actually it's just the absence of harm. And many of you are familiar with this word, ahimsa, ahimsa, non-harmfulness. Gandhi was very big on the ahimsa movement. Himsa is uh, harmfulness and ahimsa is non-harmfulness. And the third factor is nekama or renunciation. So you want to reflect on, if we could summarize these two, it would be non-greed and non-anger. Or in the other other order, non-anger and non-greed. Now, remember whenever the Buddha summarizes his teachings, he says it's about non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. So the, the three, the summary of it is greed, hatred, hatred, and delusion are the problems. The solution is non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. So in the right intention, you have the two main factors, which are the they arise out of delusion or misunderstandings. So right view is all about right understanding, the overcoming of delusion, misunderstandings about the nature of reality. And that 
is the root for both ill will and greed. So in right intention suddenly makes sense. Out of delusion rises greed and hatred. And out of right understanding rises the opposite, non-greed and non-hatred. So let's take a look at the first two factors, non-anger and non-harm. Sometimes people translate non-anger as, or think it's synonymous with goodwill. What, but it doesn't say goodwill. It says non-ill will is the literal translation of right intention. Non-ill will. It doesn't say goodwill. Non-ill will. The absence of ill will. And the absence of harmful intentions. It doesn't say good intentions or compassionate action. It doesn't say it in the positive form. And I think there's a very, very important reason for this. It's not in the positive form because... There are a number of positive, wholesome mental states that partake of non-ill will and non-harmful intent, but are not positive intent. There's something called neutral. And in in fact, this experience of equanimity and a number of other deep serenity practices are uh, uh, ill will and the intent to harm is absolutely absent in those states. But they don't participate in goodwill or compassion. So they don't, they're not metta and karuna. Metta and karuna also function. So metta and karuna, loving kindness and compassion, also fulfill right intention. They both have non-ill will and non-harmfulness in them. But it shouldn't be mistaken that you must be in a constant state of positive uh, emotions such as metta and karuna. The third factor is renunciation, nekama. And it is also not necessarily to be translated as generosity. It's the absence of greed is what it is. The absence of craving and desire. And so again, it's put in this neutral kind of condition because there are many states where just of contentment, which are, you're not feeling generous or some sort of positive desire to act and distribute things in the world. But what is absent is the desire to collect things, hold things, keep things. In other words, craving of some sort. So I think, The way it's put is very careful by the Buddha. And I see people making mistakes. Even uh, I notice Bhikkhu Bodhi emphasizes the positive form. And I I really think it's very important to just say that it's the absence of the negative form. So we see that this is this triad of greed, hatred, and delusion keeps coming up in the teachings of the Buddha as a summary. And we can now... If you need to remember quickly and clearly what the first two factors of the path is, right understanding and right intention, that the right understanding is the absence of delusion and the right intention is the presence of non-ill will and non-harm.
and non-greed. So the opposite of greed, hatred, and delusion, non-delusion, non-greed, non-hatred. This is a way of organizing the vast teachings of the Buddha. You need these frameworks. And when you have the frameworks, you can um, meet all kinds of detailed teachings and new teachings. And you have a pattern which you can put them in. It's like understanding the principles of mathematics rather than just memorizing the times table. You start to know how to do it. So you can actually digest the large bodies of information if you have frameworks to put them in. So right intention is also related to that story the Buddha talks about when he was a bodhisattva. He sat down and he decided that, that he would divide his thought processes into two heaps and one would be unwholesome and one would be wholesome. And the unwholesome ones were thoughts that he had that could be regretted, that were tainted, had problems to them. And then there was another type of thought which was wholesome and there was never any regrets from having them. So he made this strong determination that he would regulate his thinking process, something that I suppose people are inclined to try to change that, but most people are having myriad of thoughts come up and they're of all kinds and the idea of controlling them often just does not occur to the ordinary person. It occurred to the Buddha to control his thinking and that he would definitely not think certain thoughts and that other thoughts when they came up would be welcomed and maintained. And so he gave it a whirl and he said it worked. It was very, very good. When I decline to think these unwholesome thoughts, when I dismiss them and replace them, I found this a very, very successful technique. So actually, right intention is a form of meditation. It's a form of very high standards of mindfulness of the mind. So it actually fits very nicely under the third category of mindfulness, Mindfulness of the mind, citta nupasana, that is high awareness, whether one is angry or not, greedy or not, deluded or not, expansive, uh, expansive mind or not, concentrated mind or not. So this, this is a form of mindfulness practice, and it's the second factor of the path. It's right intention. And so we're actually uh, incorporating this into the higher parts of the path. You will see this basically come up in a little more expanded form under right effort as well. It's very, very closely connected with right effort. What are wrong efforts? There's two wrong efforts to be freed from, and there's two right efforts to be developed, uh, or two types of mental states to, to be developed under right effort. So that's very closely connected with right intention. The next part of right intention that you need to see is that it precedes right speech and right action. So it, you can't have right speech and right action if you don't understand what right intention is. So you will see that the, he takes the subtlest thing, that is the mind, your intentions toward the world, 
precede your speech because where does your speech come from? It comes out of your intentions. And so if you haven't, it, you can't just have right speech, you need right intention first, and that informs and spontaneously produces right speech. Right speech is very, very difficult to do. Um, it's one of the things that happens very, very fast in your interactions with people. So how do you do right speech? You do it by establishing yourself in right intention. And then once you have right intention, you can navigate and function in the realm of speech, which is happening at high speed, without uh, transgressing right speech. So it basically, uh, speech comes from the heart. So you orient the heart properly, and then what comes out of your mouth will follow the heart. But you can't possibly plan every aspect of right speech and intellectually do it fast enough to remain within the bounds of right speech if you don't have right intention. This is kind of like improvising music just by doing it theoretically, knowing the theoretical bounds of certain notes. It's hard to compute this. You have the feeling of uh, music, uh, then you can spontaneously generate improvised types of things without making mistakes. So you have to have the feel of it. What is the feel of the good heart? Actions follow that. Actions usually happen a little slower than speech. And um, you'll always be encountering such things as tiny insects. You'll be, you'll be late at night and a mosquito will be buzzing around your face. And if you haven't established yourself in right intention, you might just, for the sake of convenience, you just might try to you know, kill the insect. But if you're established in right intention, you have a good will and so forth, then that action will not take place. So there's all kinds of actions that follow from wrong intention. And they happen very, very fast. In the midst of disputes and arguments, people act out. And uh, so if you have established yourself in right intention, then these lightning fast decision processes, which involve speech and action, will happen with skill. So this is a lot of preparation for this. A lot of dwelling in right intention, always watching, how do I feel towards the world? Is there anger towards the world? Is the world meaning other people as well as yourself? This all applies towards yourself. You are not to have intentions of, of hostility and harm towards yourself and not to burden yourself with uh, cumulative kind of desires. This is also a problem for a person in the world. So right intention needs to be understood in the context of the Eightfold Path, particular reference to the Four Noble Truths and right view, and then you will understand what follows right intention, right speech, right action, and of course, right livelihood. And it leads very smoothly into right effort as well. So that is it in brief, and I'm packaging it in brief and trying to give you memory structures 
so that you can actually use this in a practical, everyday way without having to open a book and go over all the details again. The delivery by the Buddha of these things is an oral delivery and people had to remember it because it wasn't written down and it had to be in a form that's useful. It's no good if you can't remember it and have it quickly to mind. So that's why I want to uh, formulate it this way and to explain it this way.